0: Gail Sukiyama is the author of Women of Silk in the Samurai's Garden and a recipient of the Academy of American Poets Award and the Penn Oakland Josephine Miles Literary Award. Her new novel is The Street of a Thousand Blossoms. Thank you for joining me, Gail. Thank you. Gail, this is a really fascinating novel. It has such a a huge sweep. So I wonder if you try to explain the setup of where it starts. And it didn't always start where it started when you started the novel. (laughs)
1: Oh, you, are, you know more than I know already. Yeah, I actually was going to start it when this particular character, Hiroshi, enters the sumo stable. He wants to become a sumo wrestler, and I have this fascination with subcultures. So I thought that, you know, this is a subculture I've always been interested in um, just because I wondered how they got so big, what they went through, you know, what, what, what they, how they lived apart from society, You know, getting to where they get to. Um, So I thought that he would enter the sumo stable and that would be the beginning of the book. When all of a sudden I realized I needed all this backstory as to how he got to that moment. So I pushed it back a decade and it begins now in 1939, you know, which caused a few writing problems like, oh, World War II (laughs) in Japan. Um, And having to deal with writing from the point of view of a Japanese. Uh, person in japan during world war ii
0: this is a really interesting perspective because i think that here in america we're experiencing a similar kind of perspective in that we're witnessing a war kind of from our armchairs and your characters although not in their armchairs are still they're too young or too old to be actually involved in fighting the war at least at the beginning
1: yeah, I, I'm. you know, I didn't realize at the time that I was writing the book that the idea of writing about war would be something that I so personally needed to do because of what's happening today in Iraq. Um, and how much as I was researching about what happened in Japan and the firestorm, all the civilians that were killed on one night in 1945, and I think the month of March, 200,000 civilians were killed, and it made me realize that it's always the innocent people who suffer the most, Um, and and I was thinking of what's happening now and how that has crossed again, you know, and how much time has gone by, but it doesn't seem like we learned that much. Um, So, you know, all of of those feelings and thoughts went into this particular book, and it helped a great deal of writing from the perspective of of the Japanese, because I wasn't raised Japanese, and I wasn't born in Japan. Uh, I'm a Bay Area girl. Um, I was actually raised in the Chinese culture, though I'm half Chinese, half Japanese.
0: Well, that's a really interesting upbringing. Tell me about your upbringing and how that played out in your earlier books and in this book as well. I'm confused.
1: (laughs) You know, I always felt very much the American kid, you know, growing up in this area. I think it was really wonderful to grow up in the San Francisco Bay Area because it's such a melting pot. I never had any idea that it was anything you know, of another culture, actually. I think every little kid that we see knows how to use chopsticks by the time they're three years old. Um, You know, so that, that, that was all very ingrained in me. I think the fact that my mother was Chinese from Hong Kong, And my father was Japanese from Hawaii. made a huge difference. I was never actually steered in the Japanese direction culturally. I was always raised in the Chinese culture because my mother came over, and then eventually the rest of her family came over. And we all lived in the Bay Area. So she always spoke uh, Cantonese, Chinese, to the relatives. So I grew up hearing that, whereas my father was very much the beach boy. Um, you know, and he, he taught us how to body surf, but he never taught us about the Japanese culture. So the Japanese culture was something I chose to learn when I decided to write my second book, The Samurai's Garden. Um, and when I had had I actually started as a film major in college and kind of drifted over to the writing department when I realized film was very technical um, and wasn't as interesting as I thought. I, I, I was really in love with the story you know, that I was watching. And I didn't realize that it became so technical when you were actually putting it on the screen. So I actually migrated over the writing department and spent all my time then uh, in the department doing poetry. You know, graduated and then began to write longer pieces of, of prose. Um, and then eventually the novel. And the first novel I wrote was Women of the Silk. And I thought, you know, I should write about my culture. And I never doubted that my culture was Chinese, even though I have a Japanese last name since I was brought up in that culture. So the first book became Women of the Silk, about the Chinese women silk workers. And the second book allowed me to kind of explore the Japanese side of my culture in the Samurai's Garden.
0: One thing that, that really interests me about your, your first book and, and this book is your, you have an interest in what I would call proto-feminists.
1: Do I? <laughs> I don't know. I think, I th- I, you know, I hate labels. That's the hard part. And I think when I, when, I had ch- when I had the choice to write Women of the Silk, it really wasn't a choice. And that's what writing's all about. You have to be inspired by a subject matter, or else it's very difficult to live with that subject matter for the time it takes to write a novel. And it could be anywhere from one year to five years, um, you know, that that you're working on this novel. And in that novel in particular, I was teaching at the same time, and I didn't think I was really going to be published. So it was really the case of, I'm going to see if I can write this novel for my own sake. Um, So, you know, in that case, it had to be a subject that I was fascinated enough with, that I wanted to spend this time, you know, which was the extra time that you don't when you're not working, when you're not with family and friends and whatever. It's the time that you put aside just to work on your particular novel. And so these women fascinated me the fact that they were able to live um, independent of family or husbands in a Chinese culture which is based on family. And I hadn't really heard about them and I wanted to know more about them. And I think it's the writer's curiosity. That kind of got me, you know, intrigued with them in the first place. Um, And not thinking beyond that, you know, not thinking in terms of, oh, these are early Chinese feminists, though they were. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's like icing on the cake (laughs) to have all the rest of it and to be intrigued with the idea that they, they were doing things that they didn't realize they were doing at the time, you know, making their own way. Uh, supporting their families um you know working at a time when women weren't supposed to be working um not getting married not having families you know all these things that that are probably very common today in our in our lifestyle but not back then in the 1900s early 1900s
0: your new novel begins in 1939 it's it's tokyo and we have f- essentially four children characters and, and uh, a grand, grandparents raising two of them. To, why did you make the choice to have the grandparents raising them? That's a really interesting choice. A, a lot of orphans in this novel.
1: Yeah, I got a little carried away with the orphan <laughs> theme. Um, you know, when I had set it back that decade, when I decided that I needed to go back and tell Hiroshi, the ma- one of the protagonists, the main protagonist in the story, how he actually became, or, or how his leanings went towards being a sumo wrestler was when I decided that he needed to be raised by someone. And I thought, thought early on that I would have him be an orphan. But he would also have a sibling, a younger brother, Kenji. And then I thought, well, even if they're orphans, they have to be raised by someone. And I thought the grandparents would be interesting since they're a generation removed. So they represent an older Japanese family. And and culturally, they saw things a little bit different. So that was what had interested me initially of of using grandparents as opposed to, to anyone else of just the generation ahead of them. I wanted it a little bit more removed um, so that when the war comes, there's a kind of different texture when you have this generation who does things, I think, differently from their parents' generation and from, of course, their generation. Um, it just brought in a whole different feel for me. And, you know, I mean, I thought they would be characters that would be kind of background characters. And what had happened was, the more I wrote their story, the more I liked them. You know, and that's, again, (laughs) something where writers, you never know what's going to happen. You know, you start writing something and you think, this character is much more interesting than I thought he would or she would be. And that's what happened with the grandparents. And so they remain pretty much the foundation, I think, of much of the novel.
0: When you write a novel that takes place over 30 years and really crosses three or four generations, that requires a lot of planning and you sound like an an organic writer, I guess somebody who just flies off the cuff. How how do you reconcile those two to keep all your database of who's who, when, where, what, and why straight with your flowing writing style, which is very beautiful, the prose is lovely.
1: I have a lot of gray hair. <laughs> I remember there were moments when I thought, I can't do this. It's too much. There's too many characters. There's too many years. I'm crossing too much time. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, there's these these moments of just fear of I can't do it anymore. Um, you know, and then I, I turn off the computer, I walk away. You know, and I go do something totally abstract. I'll see a movie. I'll go shoe shopping. I'll go, you know, whatever it takes. And then I'll come back refreshed, hopefully, and able to see it a little bit more of a distance. Um, I am very organic in my writing process. I don't use an outline, which makes it sometimes difficult. With this particular book, I did, I shouldn't say I don't use an outline because I had, what I had to do is go year by year. And what gave me difficulties was keeping their ages straight. And so I went year by year, and I just had the name of the character and their age, um, and that helped for some reason a great deal for me. You know, by doing that, this, the plot just kind of worked its way within, you know, the guidelines of how old they were and what they were doing at that time, um, and it kind of bookended it for me. You know, made it a little bit easier to handle the, the big picture. Um, you know, and that was that was my way of dealing it, as opposed to of going from chapter to chapter, saying this happens, that happens, because I don't really know what's going to happen until it actually happens, you know, much of the time, and that's that's the problem of of you know, outlining, because I can't do it. In one sense, in the other sense, the age outline helped a great deal because it kind of stabilized me, gave me a little bit of foundation.
0: What. The Japan that you describe in this book changes enormously, phenomenally more, I think, than almost any other country did over that span of time. Could you talk about the kind of research you did to create the atmosphere from going from the the world of the grandparents who were very traditional and all, in, from a, another time that we in twentieth century and twenty first century almost cannot comprehend, to you know the the bustling fifties
1: and sixties. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was an interesting journey for me too, because I hadn't realized that things had changed so quickly. Um, I mean, you know, you read about it, you know, historically what had happened to Japan with the bomb, atomic bombs being dropped. I hadn't realized that they were occupied for seven years after Till 1952, from 45 to 52, and during that time it was a huge change. Um, I mean, here you had this devastated country. You had the Japan before that was very powerful, and then you had the Japanese during Japan during the war, um, which went through so many hardships in terms of the people who lived there. And then you have the Japan after the war, which changed so quickly, you know, in terms. And you had the younger generation who felt that they were somehow betrayed. By the Japanese government and what had happened in the war itself, and how devastated they, they had become, and they became um, the opposite, you know, pretty much the renegades who who drank and and caroused and and went through this the sexual period and you know everything that was anti-reserve, anti the Japanese culture, um, and I found that incredibly interesting and hadn't known a lot about that period. Um, And, you know, artists were very big and artists who committed suicide and all these things in terms of art and what they believed in. um, And that was all new news for me when I was writing this book. And so I'm thinking, how can I incorporate this into the world of these two brothers at the same time maintain, you know, what they were trying to do from the very beginning of the book? Um, but, you know, slowly I figured a way, you know, because they're living, it all has to be the background, what's happening behind them as they pursue their arts. Um, but, you know, it does take the younger brother in a slightly different direction than I think he was going to go in, um, and that was because I was, I was following historically what had happened in Japan, um, you know, and it's, uh, Japan is a dichotomy, it's so many different things. Uh, to, to, to try and get it all in one book was the thing that was difficult from the start for me.
0: Tell me a little bit about your research into the world of sumo wrestling. That must have been fun and interesting and rather an adventure for for you
1: <laughs> and that was actually it was supposed to begin with all that and end with all that, and it became something so much more that it 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 took on a life of its own. Um, sumo culture in itself was something that was a bit terrifying to face. The two things in this book that I was kind of frightened when I began was not so much the culture itself, because I had done the culture once in The Samurai's Garden, the second book. What I was facing when I began this book was the sumo culture, because it's so much based on ritual. And it's such an old cultural sport, um, that I was afraid I was going to get it wrong. And the other thing was, of course, uh, knowing how it might have felt to have been Japanese during the war, during the firebombing, you know, what had happened during that period of time. But with the sumo wrestling and the culture itself, there are many, many books written on them, actually. And I actually finished the first draft of the manuscript before I had gone back to Japan afterwards. There's this small window of time between finishing a manuscript when you send it off to your editor. And it's usually around two months, you know, maybe a month and a half. And I thought, okay, I have six to eight weeks now to make sure I got this right, you know, before it comes back and before I can still make changes. So I did go back to Tokyo, and I knew that they have sumo tournaments every other month. And three of those tournaments are in Tokyo. So I went back in January to see the tournaments and it was fascinating and it was fun and it was, you know, a great time. And it's the one place where I see a lot of the Japanese let down their reserve and they're yelling out the sumo names and they're drinking beer and eating sushi and, you know, bento and everything else that they sell there, Uh, much like an American sport, you know, so it was fascinating. And I realized that I got all the stuff that I needed in terms of ritual right by just a lot of research that I had done here in the U.S., What I didn't know is what I always find fascinating when you go back to a country is it's the gestures. And it's, you know, it can be one of the sensual things and having to do with senses in terms of, you know, smell or touch or whatever. Um, But in this particular book, I didn't realize that the sumo tori, these sumo wrestlers, slap their thighs so much and slap their butt so much when they're walking (laughs) to and fro from the ring. You know, and I was just fascinated watching them, you know, because all their power is in their legs and their thighs, you know. And, and they've got to keep gravity low to the ground just so they don't get knocked down. And I get it's the slapping has to do with loosening the muscles when they do stand up. So, the, you know, they're, they're walking up and down, they're slapping their butt. And I thought, I don't have enough slaps in my manuscript. So when the manuscript came back, I added. So, you know, it's those kind of things that make the journey really fascinating. You know, it adds a lot of texture to the book, and it's not so m- much the things you would think you get wrong; those are things you get all right. It's all the other things that you can add by going to the place, um, and it's those kind of gestures that that make a huge difference for me, the writer.
0: One of the centerpieces of this book is, of course, the firebombing of Tokyo, and and the Allies were good at firebombing uh, <laughs> um, big cities. It, Another famous firebombing captured in prose is uh, Vonnegut's version vision of the firebombing of Dresden and in Slaughterhouse Five. And this is this is e- equally powerful. And I want you to tell me a little about about the research of that and just the experience of writing about it.
1: Well, again, because it was one of the the most terrifying things to have to write about because I felt born and raised here that I, didn't, I wasn't conscious in the way that I need to be conscious to be one of the characters. Um, and so I had done a great deal of research and was incredibly lucky to stumble upon this one book, which was interviews um, with Japanese men and women who had survived the firebombing. Fire and it was in their voices, and I read the interviews, and it was horrifying it was it was sad it was some of them were ecstatic that they had survived it and it was what I needed was to hear these voices so that I could put these particular voices into the into the my characters um, because I felt that it was the one thing missing from my life that I hadn't had, but by reading these, I felt. I felt that I had a, a thread to, the, to what was going on at that particular time, um, and it was what I needed beyond just the, the drier book kind of research that you can do. I actually heard their voices in, this, in, the, in these interviews and was able to kind of inject that into the characters, I think. Um, it helped a great deal.
0: I'd like to talk to you about the, the two women characters, they're rather different from one another and maybe different from some of your other characters, uh, especially the, the character of Aki, who, who who is not the, she's rather shy and reserved.
1: Okay. Well, she's rather fragile, I think, I mean, from the very beginning. Um, well, you know, when I thought about this, and these are the two, two sisters that come into the life of Hiroshi, who will be later on the sumo champion. Uh, you know, they, when I sat down to write them, for some reason, the portrait of Aki, the younger sister, I knew almost immediately. I don't know why. I knew she was fragile from the time she was a young girl. I knew how to write her. I think Haru, the older sister, who, who quote, unquote, is the good girl in a lot of ways, was the more difficult character. I think it's always very difficult to write a good character because they don't have those little idiosyncrasies in the same way of if you're fragile or if you're a little bit off in one way or another or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And I remember having a great deal of problems thinking, how can I write this older sister when she is the good girl? You know, how do you make her stand out? Um, whereas Aki, I, I had a handle from the very beginning. She she's very particular from the very beginning. Her counting, she has this little ritual of counting all the time. And I knew from the very beginning when she was a little girl that she would do this, and it kind of reverberates throughout the novel for her, even to as she becomes a wo- young woman and uh, woman later on. Um, that that would always be something for her, you know. And so you have this character that you've already set. Whereas Haru was more difficult because she's like any girl in a way. Um, and so that was the difficult part of writing it. You know, I mean, so in, in terms of, of the two girls, at the end, I finally figured a way to write Haru in a way that I felt gave her more texture. And, you know, and that was the, the hard part. I, I thought Aki from the very beginning was a much easier character to write because, because of her weaknesses.
0: We've been speaking with Gail Sukiyama. Her new novel is The Street of a Thousand Blossoms. Thank you for joining me, Gail. Thank you.